inspiring and equipping you to live the life you're destined to live. This is the Ascend Men Podcast. Today, you'll hear Greg Barber interviewing Sid Thurlow. At just over 20 minutes, it's a little longer than our usual interviews. But honestly, I just couldn't find anything to edit out. Welcome to Sid. Hi, Sid. Hi, mate. So, Sid is a native of Suffolk, now in Essex, via Surrey. He's married to my one and only sister and a brother-in-law of mine for 14 years. He's an assistant pastor of Ingotstone Elam Church and prior to that, painter decorator. Last time I heard his testimony was on Spanish Christian TV. <laughs> but I'm taking advantage today of a Barber Thurlow Christmas shindig. So welcome to the podcast, Sid. Thank you for having me. And as normal, we'll start with some quickfire questions. Let's have it, mate. So first up, what smell makes you feel sick? Uh, um, oddly enough, sick makes me feel <laughs> mad sick. If I, if like, if I smell someone else has puked up, that makes me wretch. <laughs> right, let's try the next one. So, say I visit you unexpectedly late at night, would I find you in your slippers and dressing gown? You'd find me in bed. I'm an early, <laughs> an early to early bed night. kind of guy. <laughs> right, this one's a bit more thought-provoking. If I asked one of your school friends what you, what you were like, what three things would they tell me? Hmm... Um, I, I like to think that they'd have said I was a laugh. Yep. Um, but I was definitely disruptive. Um, and a word that describes, you know, what I, I kind of, um, I guess naughty would probably be the term. Um, maybe they'd have used a little more flowery yep. language, but you, you get the sentiment. I'm getting a picture. So naughty, disruptive. Uh, but a laugh. Yeah. So good to be around. Thank you very much. We've got to know you a little bit more. So let's hear your story. All right. What an opener. First <laughs> of all, thank you very much for inviting me to do this. Um, you know, like you've said, I, I am now the assistant pastor of a church. And like I, I, I really deeply believe that we are saved by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony. And so... Um, there's no testimony without a test, right? And so yeah. I, I stand here today, um, the right side of a lifelong test, really, I think. Um, and so I grew up in a Christian home. Um, we didn't, we didn't, there wasn't a lot of money around. My dad was a TV and radio engineer in the good old days when people used to fix things. <laughs> um, and my mum was a stay-at-home mum. I had two brothers and one sister, so there were six of us in our family. And uh, there wasn't a lot of money around. You know, I had holes in my trousers that were covered up by iron-on patches oh, wow. in the days where we used to repair things. Um, I was on free school dinners, and um, there was no takeaways. You know, we went to Happy Eater, which is uh, a kind of a, road, a, a motorway side uh, eatery on our birthday, and oh. that was the only time we ever did anything other than eat at home. Um, what we lacked in terms of material and finance um, my parents made up for in love. I grew up in a home that was just jam-packed with love. They were there in every situation, in every scenario. 
they were my, my parents taught us from a very early age that it's healthy to talk about things and so um it was just a really healthy upbringing so i think some guys that have a story that looks a little bit like mine um can point to problems in their past abuse and and real struggle i didn't have i don't have any excuses um for the choices and the behaviors that, that i exhibited they were mine and and um and i owned them you know yeah. um and so i grew up in that loving environment i, I touched a little bit on school um and Oh, yeah, I was disruptive at school. I think in this country, we teach and learn in this method of, I'd say it from the front as a teacher, I'll give you a textbook with the information in. Now you write down what you've learned and then in six weeks, I'll test you on it and you regurgitate. That's our method for learning. That's our mode for learning. And that I just don't work like that. I'm just not programmed that way. I learn by doing and through experience and why, like, I have the ability now to be able to read and sort of absorb information. My mind is just off far and away all of the while, overactive. And so quickly I get bored and that creates disruption within a classroom because within two or three minutes of a teacher doing something on the board or, or, or lecturing or teaching, I'm just flicking bits of paper around and messing around and, and just being disruptive, really. And so that meant that um, I was I was attracted and attracted by the wrong crowd, if you like. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even go as far as to say that uh, I was part of the wrong crowd. I was the wrong crowd. I was the kid who's, who's, who people's parents used to say, you're not going around with Sid anymore. Like, you can't have him come around here. And I, don't want, I don't want to hear that you've been going around with him anymore. <clears throat> So school looked like that for me. I got kicked out of school really early. My parents moved house to move us to a better school and I got kicked out of that school. Um, None of it was like massively terrible behaviour in the way that some kids behave these days, but it was enough to get me kicked out of school. And it was enough to really not make me benefit from the school system. I didn't learn. I I, I haven't got qualifications. um, And that in turn means... A certain future like if you leave school without any qualifications yeah, and with a poor record that 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 has consequences and really i was just interested in mucking about with my mates so those behaviors that thrill-seeking attitude that having a laugh all the while that folded over into my early life as i left school and i did get jobs i'm quite good in interview i'm just not yeah. good at keeping a job so i don't turn up on time i'm not respectful to authority well i wasn't yes um and so i i had jobs but kind of messed them up really and that was because i was out partying and out messing around at the weekends um and like so many young people, if you go out and start drinking and start acting um, out in those in those circles, we were kind of smashing stuff up, criminal damage and fighting other guys and messing around with women and or girls, I guess, you know, it's 16, 17. Yeah. And so um, and so eventually the police enter the scene and enter the picture because you can only smash stuff up and and get into fights and do that stuff for so long without um, coming to notice. Um, And so those behaviours attracted the attention of the police and kind of I I learned to drive a car at the age of like 15. One of my best mates, dad owned a taxi company and there were cars everywhere and we used to like take cars out illegally like 
just do you know what? There's a hundred one stories I could tell you about that. The picture is I'm living a really disruptive, um, dysfunctional, law-breaking life at a very early age. Yeah. Once you become, once you come under the radar of the police, um, then they start to hassle you and see you and recognise that you're a problem, and um, and the the behaviours escalate, so it's progressive. And, and you're still at your mum, mum and dad's at this um, that age. So still I'm still at my mum and dad's at this yeah. point. Um, they really tried hard to dis- discipline me through throughout this period, but just didn't really know what to do with me. Yeah. They, they weren't equipped, and they just didn't really know how to manage me. I got in trouble with the police for smashing stuff up, um, but they kind of give you a pass as you haven't got a criminal record and just give you a clip around here sort of thing and tell you, go and tell your parents and whatever. Mm. Um, and then um, my first criminal offence was a dwelling house burglary, which is quite a naughty offence. That's a house burglary where you burgle a house with someone actually inside yeah, yeah. the house. And so, like, I, I'm kind of, it makes me cringe to think that this is the way that I behaved. There was an old man downstairs in his living room. Me and two of my pals put a ladder up to the window and climbed in his upstairs room mm-hmm. under the information of a young lad who lived next door who said he had money in a drawer and something else in there. Mm-hmm. Like, so we didn't, there was nothing there. We didn't find anything, came out. This is the kind of criminals that we were. Ordered a taxi from this guy's house to get home. Didn't have any money to pay the taxi, so we, so we legged it from the taxi. So there's a record immediately of not just a taxi ride, but we legged it. So there's a report of uh, people running from a taxi. So I got yeah. nicked the next day and <coughs> got in serious trouble for it. Went to court, was part of the justice system. There's a whole bunch of other crimes. I, I sit here today with 129 criminal convictions. I guess I've spent somewhere between five and six years actually served in prison. Yeah. Um, and like my prison sentences range from 14 days, 28 days, up to kind of three years, I guess, is probably okay. one of the longer ones. Big difference. Um, and the offences range from shoplifting, criminal damage, smashing lights and, and doing petty stuff to... Um, ABH and to do you know what at, at one point in prison I came across drugs I was, I was already smoking weed I remember that I was already drinking alcohol we were already going out to nightclubs and doing ease and trips and all that kind of um, party fun drugs yeah. and on one of these prison sentences um, I came across heroin and in prison it's all about getting getting out so you just go in and once you get through the initial stages of having a fight, getting into trouble with the with the prison officers, getting into trouble with the other cons, you so, kind of realise that just being sensible gets you through. People don't trouble you if you don't trouble people. And so um, the idea really is just to get to your, to your release date. It's just to get free. Um, and so it's a bit like waiting in a bus queue for two years. You just wait and day after day, Groundhog Day. And one day some, someone introduced me to heroin um, and two days just went just like that. Like you take it and you and you lay down and you're just in this mad sleepish state for like two days and you come round and there's two days wiped off your sentence. Mm. And so there wasn't a lot of it in prison, but I had a positive association with it. And then when I came out of prison, continued smoking, trying to manage a job, um, making a mess of life, living an unmanageable, chaotic life. 
Um, and then heroin came around again about six months later, and I had this positive association on the on the outside, on the outside, yeah. right after being released. That started a whole spiral of all kinds of offences, from stealing to credit cards to checkbooks to money transfers to dealing drugs. I once got caught with three coffee jars full of heroin. I mean, that's quite a lot of wow. heroin. I think they called it, I don't know, a couple of hundred grand's worth of heroin. Um, and I got like a lump of prison for that. Like I got, I got chunked off for that. And so all of this happened, and all of this time, basically, I'm just I'm, I'm just ignorant of what I'm doing. I'm so wrapped up in myself and in the ways of the world that I'm not even aware, really, that there's a different path. This is just life to me. This is yeah. like, it's like so a I game know. of cops and robbers. I wasn't one of these people who would fight and spit and scratch police when I got nicked. It was a bit like... like I'm trying to get away, and your job is to catch me. Yeah. And so, like, if you catch me, then it's a fair cop. All right, I'll go and I'll go and do the bird. I'll go and do the sentence. Yeah. Like, and so other people would smash the cell up and go crazy. I just wasn't one of those people. Yeah. So I was really all right about it, and it meant that I could run through this cycle of freedom, um, crime, and drugs, and then prison, and then. A, 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 and then release and then back on that on that cycle again yeah, yeah. and then on one of these prison sentences on my final prison sentence um i was playing football i've always played football and even through all of this drugging and and like because i was taking drugs for like 15 years breaking the law that's how i've got 129 convictions yeah, yeah. i was playing five aside football when i'd go in prison i'd get healthy i'd go to the gym and i'd run and I'd start um, playing football. I played for the prison team against the police, against the army, against the fire service. Yep. And so um, and so I was playing for the five-a-side team, and there was this left-footed geezer who was really good. It was one of these kind of round-robin things where um, where the team that's – there's a couple of teams that are not playing, and the winner stays off, and it kind of shuffles around. So this guy was on a different team to me, and I sat on the bench, and I was sitting next to him. And because I clocked that he was pretty good at football, in prison you have to be really selective about the people that you spend your time with mm. there's a lot of like off key people in there and i would i'd be really selective around who i spent my time with because some people act out mad in there and so this guy i thought you know what this guy's all right i like i sat talking to him and i thought i'm gonna keep my open for him on the wing because he's someone that i might spend a bit of time with he sounds mm. all right the next day i'm walking down the wing minding my own business and this geezer's walking towards me that's the, the left footed like who, who i thought was sound and he had a dog collar on. And honestly, I was just absolutely astonished. When I sat and played football and talked to him, he hadn't said anything to me about it. I just made the assumption he was another con. He yeah. hadn't said, I'm the prison chaplain, I'm a vicar, or any of this stuff. And for some reason, that really, that really hit a chord with me. This is a cool guy. I had this assumption that all Christians <laughs> were like nerdy, um, tank top wearing, sock and sandal wearing. Like, do you know what I mean? Because I came from that world, yeah, I'd yeah. made this generalisation. I'd kind of nixed Christianity because I'd figured it wasn't cool and it was for this type of people. My shallow thinking was only this is cool. This is not cool. Yeah. This guy all of a sudden made this cool to me. It made it like, okay, so it isn't just people like my parents. Yeah, yeah. I started going to church as a result of the interaction with this and, and one of my friends that did go to church, an African guy that was my, my best friend. Um, and so 
I became a Christian and began this journey of being transformed by the renewal of my mind, right? Romans 12, 2 talks about no longer conforming to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewal of our mind. And this process began, but it took another 15 years of me battling. Paul talks about, I do the things I don't want to do. I know that I shouldn't do them. I can't stop myself from doing them. And this is where I was. So for 15 years, I tried to come off heroin. I tried to come off drugs. was on a methadone prescription, was on Subutex, constantly using drugs against my will, even in what was a successful life. I married your sister and put her through the ringer because I was battling with this addiction, all the while going to church, all the while struggling with church. This journey of 30 years of using in, in ignorance and then 15 years of using against my will whilst mm. trying to walk hand in hand with Jesus, going to church, using heroin in the toilet at church, coming out and all of the songs are convicting me. Every song is talking about my chains are broken, I'm set free. Like, And I'm like, I've just been in the toilet doing heroin. Like wow. it's, it psychologically just destroys you because like... You guys are all talking about how how who the sun sets free is free indeed, and I can't shake this off. Like I'm fuming with God. Where are you? What is going on here? Why are you doing this to me? Now, having come through all of that, which is a whole other story, really, how I came to conquer these demons, how Christ conquers these demons. Once I opened myself up to really submitting and accepting and like. NA, Narcotics Anonymous, talks about turning our lives and our will over to God, right? The God of my understanding. Yeah. And I, I was still I was still acting on self-will. I was still working in my own power, not in the not in the power of the Father, not in the authority of Jesus. But I still had my agenda. And it wasn't until I recognised that I need to hand everything over. I need to give this all to you. I need to let you take the wheel. When I hit that acceptance and that realisation, things really started to happen. And this was probably a couple of years before I managed to get clean. It was still a process, but... beginning to walk that out, beginning to study the Bible, beginning to spend time with him. Now I see what this journey is about, all right? This is why I talk about at the very beginning, we're saved by the blood of our lamb and our testimony. I'm saved by this journey, right? Now I lead with Laura a a ministry called Believers in Recovery, which is bringing Jesus to people who are struggling with addiction. Now this whole journey has meaning, has purpose. God takes that which was meant for evil and uses it for good. And now as I walk with Christ in every area of my life, everything I do is redeemed, washing, washing up, cooking, the <laughs> way that I interact with people, the way that I have compassion. This is all Christ in me. Beautiful song, yet not I, but Christ in me. Absolutely mm. beautiful, powerful song that talks about the power of him. This is not me. This is him in me. Sid is nailed to the cross. This is Christ who lives in me, who empowers me to do all that I do. And now we lead this ministry. It's a tough place to be. And for me in church, people didn't understand that I was battling with this thing because I kind of look relatively healthy. I like, I wear modern, not expensive clothes, but clothes that fit with the guys at church. A lot of the guys that come to Believers in Recovery were homeless two two weeks, four mm. weeks, a couple of months ago. They're on benefits. They're in dry houses. 
Coming into church is a tough environment. Church, middle class white church is not prepared for the least, the last and the lost. It's not prepared to come out of its protected environment and get its hands stinking and filthy in the soil of collecting the harvest. They're just not prepared for it. It's not their fault. It's not our fault. It's just where we are as a society today. And so Believers in Recovery is the stepping stone in between. And that allows me to introduce people to church in a loving and caring way introducing them to what it really means to walk with Christ not religion but a relationship with Christ of course and do you think I mean going back to what you said about you had 15 years battling it do you think believers in recovery would have been that stepping stone that would have helped you I don't know you know I think I I think NA ultimately was the key for me but I think you have to come to a place where you are sick and tired of being sick and tired you have Mm. to reach your rock bottom and there's a rebound in hitting the bottom that allows you to somehow do you you know do you know what what, what it's called in in, in NA in a 12-step program it's called the gift of desperation and and so like, nothing, right nothing when you are absolutely desperate that's a gift because if you've still got if you if you've still got reservations if you're still wobbling along like and I don't get me wrong I wasn't homeless yeah. like I had my own business Laura was chief executive at a company we were living in Guildford a car we had all that we could want financially yeah it wasn't enough. Of course it's not, because it's a God-shaped hole that can only be filled by, guess what? God, right? Yeah. It's not It's not a secret. And the world out there that I see today is trying to stuff that hole with absolutely everything but. And so it's, it's a, a passion of ours. Christ has placed this passion within us to help those that, that can't help themselves in yeah. some ways, which is what I was. And so I, th- I think that we're looking going forward at putting together some kind of resource to equip churches to know what to do when the stinking drunk comes in, when, when the guy who smells of wee and has got three teeth left in his head and has got a coat on his own for five years walks through the door of church. How do we minister to that guy? How do yeah. we be Jesus to him? How do we sit with him and show him love and acceptance without allowing our unconscious, unconscious yeah. bias to bite in and say, yes a bit uncomfortable that is there getting out of our own sphere right there it is and so i think there's a real journey for church to have um not all churches and not all people but on the whole even with the journey that i've had that i've described to you and and like 30 years of this means i've seen a lot and i've been involved in a lot and i've and i've tasted an awful lot of rot even when I'm sitting in church, someone who smells funny comes in, I still make a judgment. So if I'm capable yeah. of doing it, of of allowing that unconscious bias to call on me and to nudge me to treat that person a certain way, what chance does someone that doesn't have the experience and, the, and yeah. the benefit of the pain that I've lived through, what chance do they have of approaching in the way that Jesus would, without judgment, without condemnation, with utter love and compassion? So often in the Bible we read, Jesus took compassion. It speaks of it so often. Mm. How do we operate as Christians in this world in a Jesus-like, compassionate manner? Do you know what? I'll finish on this. Go for it. Compassion needs to be our passion. Like, what a beautiful saying is that. Like, that needs to be, if football is your passion, if Ipswich Town Football Club is your (laughs) passion, compassion needs to be your passion.
Brilliant. Thank you, Sid. Thank you for sharing some of your heart. We could have gone longer. Oh. I'm probably queuing up in my head an episode two. But <laughs> that, bless you. Bless you for all the things you're doing yeah, with Believers you. in Recovery um, and what you're doing in, in Elam as an assistant pastor. I um, appreciate it. And Greg, thank you for, as a family, like forgiving me and allowing me to like be friends because I haven't been forgivable. I haven't been lovable. And so if I can just take oh. this opportunity to thank you for... You know what I mean? For allowing me to stay in, in the family and for sticking with me, right? <laughs> That's it for this Ascend Men podcast. If you've enjoyed this content, please share it with a mate. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. Together, we are stronger.